Welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Taylor Velazquez. Post-pandemic learning is affecting schools nationwide. New Mexico schools have been hit especially hard by chronic absenteeism. In the 2018-2019 school year, nearly 18% of New Mexico kids were chronically absent, meaning they missed 10% or more of school days for any reason, including illness. That following year, there has been little improvement as of the last school year with chronic absenteeism chronic absenteeism hovering around 39% statewide, according to the New Mexico Public Education Department's annual attendance report. School administrators across the country echo the same concerns. These students missing are the ones who need the resources and support a school environment can offer, especially with families still recovering both economically and emotionally from the toll of the pandemic. This spike in chronic absenteeism is also a contributing factor to low standardized test scores. Furthermore, students disengagement from school could have consequences beyond irregular attendance, a key predictor of students dropping out of high school, for example. A compromised education often leads to diminished health, affects the economy and workforce, and increases involvement in the criminal justice system. Chronic absenteeism also disproportionately affects students who are likely to be housing insecure, live with disabilities, or are children of color. This morning, we'll discuss chronic absenteeism, the resources available to help, and what gaps still need to be filled to re-engage our students in their education. We also want to hear from you. Are you a parent whose child is struggling with regular attendance? What classroom interventions could help? Email us at letstalk at kunm.org or call in live at 505-277-5866. And I want to introduce my first guest this morning, Terry Winborn, Director of Collective Impact at the United Way of North Central New Mexico. Um, Good morning, Terry. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be here. And can you just give us an overview of what chronic absenteeism is? I know I said that's about 10% or more of school days. What does that actually amount so people can put days to a percentage? Okay, so in an average month of 20 days, 10% is two days. Now, for a lot of people, that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but research is showing that missing just two days a month for any child is where they start to fall behind. And chronic absenteeism is where we're looking at not just unexcused absences, but we're looking at excused absences and we're looking at suspensions. Essentially, a student out of class is out of class and there's a good chance they'll fall behind if they don't have supports. And Terry, what are some of the barriers that make going to school routinely difficult for students? Oh, there are there are a lot of barriers. There's no way to say, oh, it's just this one thing. But I will tell you, the, there are some categories. There's an organization called Attendance Works, which is a national organization focused on um, helping states understand what chronic absenteeism is and what the research is showing. And there are four big buckets of reasons why students aren't going to school. And the first one is they can't. So illness, transportation issues, housing issues, they simply can't get to school. The second big bucket is they don't want to go to school because of bullying or they've fallen really far behind and they don't understand what's going on. The third big bucket is they're not interested in going to school. And we see a lot of this after the pandemic where students were thinking, well, you know what, I could do everything online in three hours. Why do I have to be to school? for seven hours. That doesn't make any sense to me. And they're also questioning the relevance. Why do I have to go to school? What am I learning that's so important? And then the fourth big bucket is misunderstanding why attendance is important. And this is a big issue. A lot of a lot of people think, oh, well, if they only miss a couple of days, it's not going to you know, be a big deal. But if you start that in kindergarten, that will grow and they will miss more and more days. So Um, Those are the four big buckets of reasons why students don't go. But as you can see, there are a lot of things that fall under each of those. This seems like there's a lot of changes going on in the world and our students are really having to navigate a brand new world with brand new expectations. But what are you seeing on the ground? What are you hearing from those students about their day to day lives and also their parents as well? So what I'm hearing a lot of is that students do want that relevance. We're hearing from schools where students are saying, you know what, I wasn't going to school, but um, after Mr. Johnson started working with me, I felt like, you know, here was someone who cared that I was coming to school. So there's that whole idea of mentorship that is a really big deal for students. They want to know that there's an adult in that school that cares that they're there. But we're also hearing that students want 
hands-on learning. They want work-based learning. They want relevant learning. They want applied learning. They want to know what I'm taking algebra. Why am I taking algebra? What is it going to do for me? They want classes that say, well, here's algebra for, you know, if you're going to be in the medical field, here's algebra for, they, they really want that. And we're hearing more and more of that from students. I also want to bring in um, Secretary Arsenio Romero from the New Mexico Public Education Department. Good morning, Secretary Romero. Thanks for joining us in or joining us today. It's good to see you. Absolutely, Taylor. Thank you for having me here this morning. We've talked a little bit with Terry about what chronic absenteeism is, what we're seeing right now with our students and school communities. But from the PED perspective and all the data that you've collected, can you explain why New Mexico is still seeing chronic absenteeism sitting around 40 percent these past couple school years? Uh, absolutely, Taylor. It's a huge issue for us in New Mexico. Uh, when I think about some of the amazing things that's happening in classrooms across New Mexico, it's always hard because w our biggest road roadblock to all that is chronic absenteeism. When we think about the opportunity students have with CTE programs, with innovation grants, uh, with uh, everything that happens within elementary schools around uh, the science of reading, uh, after school programs, athletics, activities. I mean, there's so many reasons to be able to to come to school every single day. And just like Terry was talking about, you have to have that connection with the school to be able to be successful. But none of that works well if the students aren't in school. And so the question is, why are students, uh, why do we have such a high rate of chronic absenteeism? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and uh, Terry gave a really good explanation of that. You know, the first uh, big reason is that we have issues with students not being able to come to school. Uh, New Mexico is a very, uh, is a state that we have lots of students moving from school to school, from city to city. Um, transportation can be an issue with that. Housing can be an, an issue, issue with that. So we need to be able to support the family so that they find that uh, community to where they can be successful. They have that connection with either a teacher or somebody from the school uh, that allows them to want to come every single day. Um, and if and another big reason is transportation. We want to be able to provide transportation for every student in New Mexico. And what happens is we have such rural areas in New Mexico that if you miss the bus, now you're not going to school anymore. And so we need to be able to find solutions to that where we can uh, maybe have additional bus routes. Uh, we have bus routes that are closer to schools. We want students to be able to be at school and anything that we can do to help them get there, we wanna make that happen. It sounds like the pandemic is still impacting a lot of what we're seeing. And I know a lot of people are going through that pandemic fatigue. We don't wanna talk about what's been going on the last three years, but right. how is the pandemic still impacting these numbers? And are we seeing any recovery? No, you know, we are. And uh, I would I would say that, yes, we still have some impact from the pandemic, um, but schools have done an amazing job to go out and find those students out in their communities and making sure that they're having those connections back with schools. Uh, we haven't got to everybody yet, and, and we still are doing that work to do that. Um, but uh, it's important work. We want them to be back. We have some families that made choices to go either to homeschool or maybe they have uh, gone and moved uh, to another community. But we want to verify that. We, we don't want to just uh, infer that uh, we know where these families are. We want to make sure that they have some connection with the school. And uh, so I want to really hats off to our guidance counselors, our principals and our teachers around the state. They've done an amazing job to be able to find those students to get them to come back. Um, and many of them have. But now the next step is getting them to come back every single day and making sure that they're there all the time. And uh, just m missing uh, a couple of days a month has a huge impact on what happens for a, a child throughout the school year. So if you, if you add that up a couple of days a month over nine months, that can be really like a month worth of school. And uh, that has a huge impact. And so we want students to be able to feel successful. We want to make sure that they have all the resources they need. First thing is they need to be there, though. And we know that chronic absenteeism directly impacts the likelihood of students graduating. And we heard from Terry that students are really seeking curriculum that's relevant to them and what's going on right now. So what are your plans at PED to engage students by exposing them to different career paths like we spoke about a few weeks here? You know what, that is really the, the, the key to it all. Um, if students are connected with something at the school site, they are almost 100 percent guaranteed to graduate. So that's going to be things like athletics. It's going to be like activities. So if you're in a uh, playing basketball, wrestling, uh, golf, or you're in band, uh, if you're in after school clubs like robotics, these are things that are going to almost guarantee you to graduate. But we've also got issues around um, just making sure that we are 
evolving our school calendars too. We're all very used to the traditional, you know, three months in the summer and we've got the nine months of the school year, but we're starting to see some really innovative uh, calendars out there in the state where we're starting to see them kind of stretch out the school year. And this allows for some different things. Definitely allows for that summer break that we're kind of used to, but we have a lot of tradition and culture in New Mexico. So things like uh, state fair, uh, hunting, um, any, anything that has to do with culturally relevant events that happen throughout the school year, we, we know when these happen. And so what, so many times uh, families are having to take off the of school so they can do some of these things because it's part of what they do as a family. And we want to be able to support that. But we can now start to look at calendar our school calendars a little bit differently so we can build that into the calendar. So instead of us having 20% of our students uh, take off for state fair, or for hunting or for culturally relevant events, we can build that into what the calendar looks like so that they can do that without missing school. And so we've seen some amazing schools doing that. Uh, Las, Las Cruces has done a great job of kind of evolving that school calendar. We see some of those conversations with Rio Rancho right now. So I'm really um, excited about uh, what schools are doing to be able to make sure that students are in school, but also addressing what they do uh, just with culturally relevant events uh, throughout the school year. When we're talking about re-engaging students, some students may think, I don't want to go to college. I want to follow a career path. I want to go into the trade. So do we have enough funding to fund or fund vocational programs in schools? You know, absolutely. In fact, I was uh, down in Valencia County yesterday and the whole conversation was around supporting different pathways for students. And this is uh, exactly what we need to do to be able to make sure that they come to school, want to be in school and stay in school. So we do definitely have those students that are on the trajectory uh, for college. So let's talk about them just really quickly. We want to make sure that they have the opportunities to have, uh, 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 you know, the ability to be able to take higher ed and math higher end language arts and reading, but also have the opportunities to be able to do dual credit opportunities and have those connections with the university so they get on that path. But we also wanna set the pathways up for students that are ready to go into the workforce, that are the entrepreneurs that wanna open up their own businesses. And these are really through our CTE programs, our career technical education programs. And we see some amazing examples of that across the state. Uh, this really allows students that want to uh, they want to become a welder. They want to get into HVAC. They want to get into computer programming, to robotics, engineering. All these uh, ideas allow them to be able to come to school and then graduate, but not only just graduate as a, as a high school senior, but graduate with a certificate of industry so they can go right into the workforce. Uh, and throughout both these pathways, whether it's going to be college or career, to be able to allow those connections with the industry so that they can, uh, through work, uh, workforce uh, type of opportunities, uh, they can have apprenticeships. These are all things that help them just get ready for what's going to happen next after they, after they graduate high school. And when you were appointed secretary just earlier this year, I know it sounds crazy that we're so far in to the year now, but you said your focus would be on eliminating teacher shortages at every school. What progress have you made and how crucial is having a teacher in the classroom to consistency for students? It is absolutely crucial. And we've been working uh, really closely with both universities and of course districts to be able to uh, fill those positions. And as we came out of the pandemic, uh, we saw that shortage. Uh, it still continues to this day, but we have made, made headway with that. And uh, what's amazing is I've been able to talk with, uh, really anecdotally with HR departments around the state. And I'm really happy when I hear from them because they are telling me that they're either very close or have uh, filled all of their vacancies, which is amazing. Now we still have some some of those kind of problem areas, and these these are the hard to staff positions like sped teachers and bilingual teachers, math teachers and science teachers. We're continuing to do that work with our universities to create those pathways uh, for teachers to to get into those positions. Uh, some of those programs are through uh, really teacher residencies where we can work with universities to actually pay teachers during their uh, student teaching time and also allowing them to have more in-depth student teaching time. But we're also going straight into the communities and, and really working with people that live in those communities and offering programs like educator fellows that allows those that really didn't have that traditional path to become a teacher. Now they have the ability to become the teacher and they go back into those communities and are there for 25, 30 years as a teacher, which is we've had some amazing success with that already. And we're going to hit to a quick break. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez. We're talking about chronic absenteeism in schools and we'll be back in a minute. 
Support comes from the New Mexico Philharmonic, presenting Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony, Sunday, November 5th, 3 p.m., at Emanuel Presbyterian Church in Knob Hill. Information at nmphil.org. KUNM thanks our supporting members from across New Mexico. Your dollars are turned into programming that has a direct impact on the communities we serve. Thanks for your support. KUNM, powered by you. Princess Anna Amalia of Prussia had a tyrannical father who punished her for playing music. When her father died, things got no easier. Her brother then controlled her life. But through all of her struggles, music was her main source of comfort. Music by a persistent princess on the next Performance Today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Taylor Velasquez. Keep an eye out for our website for details on the next show. And a reminder, you can send a voice message to play during the show by clicking the record button on the Let's Talk New Mexico webpage at KUNM.org. Today, we're taking your calls about chronic absenteeism. Are you a teacher? What resources do you think are missing that would help you out? Give us a call at 505-277-5866, or you can email us at Let's Talk at KUNM. And I want to get back to our conversation that we were having before the break with Secretary Romero from the New Mexico Public Education Department. We were talking about teacher shortages, and I know we're trying to get a good understanding of what chronic absenteeism is and how the factors are contributing to that, but does classroom staffing affect attendance? Oh, it does, because you want to be able to have a strong teacher, a successful teacher, somebody that those students can connect with. And so many times when we do have uh, issues where we have either substitutes in classrooms or we have turnover in classrooms, it affects that relationship. Um, if you think back about your days in, in school, uh, many of us, you know, we really go back to a person, a teacher that we had that connection with, and that's what allowed us to be successful. And so uh, that human interaction and those relationship building opportunities is incredibly important to the success of every student in New Mexico. And before you were secretary, you were also a teacher and a principal. Teachers have to teach so much content that will be on standardized testing. But how important is standardized testing right now, considering that we're dealing with high levels of chronic absenteeism and major learning gaps from the pandemic? You know, uh, really, when it comes to assessments and, and us measuring how students are doing, that's always important because it's a measure for us to see how successful we are. But it, again, it's only one data point, and really it's an outcome of many things that happen. So when you have a, a, a strong teacher, when you have a very safe environment, when you're able to provide the basic needs for students when it comes to breakfast and lunch, when you're able to provide uh, you know, really strong curriculum and uh, opportunities for students to continue to learn, the outcomes come at, at those uh, with those assessments. And so it really allows us to make those individual course corrections along the way so we can continue to be, uh, make sure that the environment is as safe as possible for students. We have the best teachers available and uh, we and what professional development is going to come next. So it's important that we do that. Uh, it does tell a story, but again, it's, it's only one part of the story. And uh, it allows us to be able to make those course corrections along the way. Chronic absenteeism also disproportionately affects children who live in poverty, and our state does have the third highest poverty rate in the country. How do we get these students in the classroom to ensure that every child is getting that important equitable education? So it, kind of a little bit of the same answer. You know, it starts off in the morning. Uh, when we have students come to school and how we welcome them. And we want this to be a place where they feel like this is their school. Um, it's important that we are able to start off the day uh, in a positive note by providing breakfast for them, having them come in, you know, they know the routines, they have the connections and relationships with the teachers and the staff. Uh, this is a place where we want them to be, uh, you know, exposed to things that they're interested in. That includes the literature, that includes the math, but it also includes uh, everything else from the CT programs, uh, that they may be interested in. That doesn't mean just high school. We're actually talking about um, offering these type of opportunities when it comes to uh, different types of um, jobs that they may be interested in, even in kindergarten, even in elementary school. And so these are all important aspects that we build. Uh, it, there is definitely a plan from as they come in as early kindergartners all the way to seniors. And uh, again, we don't want them to just graduate uh, with a high school diploma anymore. It's not enough to do that. We, we have the ability right now to be able to graduate every high school senior with the ability to have multiple dual credits 
to go into the to the, to university, uh, to be able to graduate with a certificate of industry to go right into the workforce. And we also have the ability to be able to graduate every student speaking more than one language. And those shouldn't be outliers that we have for some students in high schools. It should be something that's offered and the has the uh, ability for every student to take uh, take advantage of. The Yazzie Martinez settlement comes up probably in every conversation we're having about conversation or education nowadays. But does education or does attendance factor into compliance that's aimed at settling the Yazzie Martinez suit? Well, it does because it has a direct impact on the outcomes of students. So when we talk about the student groups that Martinez Yazzie uh, talks about, uh, we can make a direct correlation to chronic absenteeism. And you know, it's if there's one thing that parents can do to uh, really support classroom teachers is to make sure that your students are there every single day and they're there on time. Just being there uh, in a, alone has a, such a positive effect on outcomes for students. And again, just missing one or two days a week or one or two days a month has a dramatic negative impact on student learning. So the first thing that we can do is just making sure students are there. Uh, and, and it's just as much a parent's responsibility as it is the school's responsibility. We want to make sure that we have uh, proper transportation for those students so that they can get there. And then, of course, we want those school uh, settings to be safe and, uh, and engaging for students across New Mexico. I want to circle back to Terry Wimborn from United Way of North Central New Mexico. Terry, in 2019, the New Mexico legislature passed House Bill 236, or it's otherwise known as the Attendance for Success Act. Can you talk about how this law works? Okay, so before the Attendance for Success Act passed, um, we had the compulsory school law, which focused almost exclusively on truancy. Basically, it says you have to bring your child to school or else. And um, back around 2017-2018, um, one of the legislators who used to be a school resource officer, and he was seeing students being ridiculously suspended for being truant. He saw, you know, threats being made to families, and those families were not then trusting those schools at all once threats were made, um, regardless of the reason why their child was out. So he started thinking about what can we do in this state that's going to change the way we address absenteeism. And so he wrote this law. And the idea behind the Attendance for Success Act is, okay, we're not into punishing anymore and we're not into threatening anymore. What we want is for schools and families to have partnerships. We want relationship building to happen so that the school sits down and talks with the family and says, okay, you know, Brian's been out four times so far this month. Let's talk about what's going on. And the idea is, is that they can find out that every week Brian runs out of clean clothing on Friday and doesn't want to come to school. Or, you know, one week Brian had a really, really bad case of the flu and just couldn't come to school. But sometimes schools don't get those answers right away. They need to actually... It could be that the family is semi-homeless and there are other things happening. And I tell people, I don't believe there's a single parent in this state that doesn't care about their child's education. But I absolutely know there are parents in this state who are overwhelmed with a lot of things happening in their lives. And the idea behind the Attendance for Success Act is let's look at all kinds of absenteeism and then let's have schools and families work together to come up with solutions and interventions and resources so that we can address those barriers, getting children to come to school. And so that's the whole idea behind the act. You know, we're talking about relationship building and we also want to hear from you all that are listening. So what can schools offer to allow students to make the most out of their education? You can give us a call at 505-277-5866 or you can shoot us an email at letstalk@kunm.org and tell us more about it. But I want to pivot towards a listener email that we got from Christina, who's been a teacher for 31 years. She says extreme attendance issues have a pattern of attendance issues that are generally have nothing to do with teacher shortages or teachers in general or even the schools. So she suggests do not keep passing students who never showed up to begin with or not consistently or are and are at below level. We are afraid to fail students in the name of self-esteem, but those of us who teach know that self-esteem is built through genuine effort and the ability to gain 
gained through efforts. Nobody wants to see a 10-year-old in kindergarten, yet we have 10-year-olds functioning at a K level on multiple measures. Identify and then provide the students with the support such as summer school and tutoring, students with extreme absences and more than a grade are, and are more than a grade level behind should not be passed on. As a dual citizen, I have many friends who failed multiple grades and still succeeded. They simply accepted that if you don't meet a certain standard, you do not pass. Why have standards if we can't hold anyone to those standards? And Secretary Romero, I'll, I'll pivot back to you for that. No, absolutely. And I want to thank Christina for, for everything she's done as a teacher over the last 31 years. And I'm sure she has got lots of examples of students that are doing uh, wonderful and then students that are, you know, what she's describing. And again, it, it really comes down to making sure that we have uh, environments that students want to be in that they, they, they need to be in making sure that those uh, school environments are safe, that we can provide the basic needs for them, uh, that we are able to provide opportunities that interest them and making sure that they have a connection to, to that school. Uh, it, there is correlations uh, when it comes to how student, what student outcomes are and poverty levels. And uh, we know that. And, uh, but we've also got so many, you know, wonderful examples of students succeeding despite poverty. And uh, because they are have those wonderful connections with their schools and then you know just opens up opportunities. So we can't we can't ever uh, give up on anybody. And and there and she's right. There are students that are uh, at a certain grade level and they're reading below grade level. And in fact, we have right now we just uh, were able to update our 2023 data in vistas. And so if you haven't been able to look at that, you can go take a look at how schools are doing now. And but we're seeing uh, a positive movement forward. We had a significant uh, increase in our reading abilities across the state of New Mexico, which is which is a positive. Um, we really are seeing the hard work that classroom teachers are doing across the state of New Mexico to have that positive impact for students. And so even though we do have still a majority of students across the state reading below grade level, we are in, we are investing in the right things to to turn that ship so that that changes. And uh, we if if in her example she talked about a third grader. We have time to be able to make sure that that student has everything that they need to be successful readers and be successful students. And we're not going to give up on them. And Terry, Secretary Romero just mentioned we can't give up on kids. And the Attendance for Success Act was passed in 2019. And then we saw the world shut down with COVID and schools had to pivot for remote learning. Should we be looking towards the coming session, legislature session in January to consider some updates to the law? Um, I believe there are some updates that are being considered to the law because once you pass the law and you look at how it's implemented and then you say, okay, so we see some changes that need to happen. Um, one problem with the law is it passed and it asked schools to do a whole lot of things, but there was no additional funding attached to it. So we've got a lot of schools scrambling to try to use the, the resources they have to do this additional work. So I know that one of the things that, that, um, maybe a tweak to the law is to add some funding for attendance for schools, which I think is is essential. I mean, each school should have someone who's who's there to to meet with families. And, and it's not like a secondary part of their job, but their whole job is to work on attendance. So, yes, uh, I think that there are some um, possibilities. There was um, Senate Bill 367 last legislative session was going to make some tweaks. It just was going too slowly through. It made it through the, most of the Senate, but it was too slow. So um, that hopefully will be reintroduced either this session or in the next full session. I would now like to introduce my next guest, Estefan Gallegos, Juvenile Probation Officer Supervisor with the New Mexico Children, Youth and Families Department. Good morning, Estefan. Thanks for joining in. Good morning and thank you for having me. I want to ask you, CYFD has so many different divisions with differing roles, but what is the role of the juvenile probation office when it comes to absenteeism? So so first off, thank you for acknowledging that, that CYFD has different divisions. I don't know that that's, that's common knowledge uh, amongst, um, you know, people in the state of New Mexico. Of course, there's protective services that, that's going to uh, investigate abuse and neglect, and of course, juvenile justice services that for the most part deals with delinquency, but we also have a role when it comes to the Attendance for Success Act. So when when we receive a referral from the schools, um, we're, we're doing a variety of things. First off, we're ensuring that we have uh, the packet that includes all of the interventions that have been attempted by the schools. Um, the phone calls, the meetings, the letters, uh, the referrals to resources, um, 
and what the family's responses have been. Our role when it comes to absenteeism referrals is to do, you know, make a determination if the child is maybe considered a neglected child or if the child is in a family in need of services um, or the child belongs to a family in need of services. And um, I think this kind of goes back to the buckets that Terry was talking about with, with the reasons why kids miss school. Do they have the means to do so? Is there, a, is there an ongoing medical issue that prevents them from going on a daily basis or transportation? Um, is there, um, do they find the value in, in, in going to school, right? Um, so we take that into account. Um, and when we're taking a look at those referrals, we're reaching out to families. We're also collaborating with that referral source, right? Those are coming from the school. So whether that's coming from an attendance coach, whether that's coming from a teacher, um, you know, schools have, have various individuals that they have in charge of, of making these types of referrals. We also want to speak to them because these meetings are to take place at the school in the natural setting. And, you know, we, we certainly encourage parents and families to attend these meetings. Um, we may involve community resources. We may make a determination if, if there's a maybe something that may not have been tried yet. Um, collaboration is huge and it's a key piece in both CYFD, juvenile probation and schools in connecting resources, what services are available. And of course, that's going to deter that's going to be determined based off geographically where the school and the probation office is located. But uh, that's essentially our role when we get these referrals to kind of do a deep dive, if you will, um, that, you know, because juvenile probation doesn't become involved to the very last, uh, the, the last ditch effort, if you will, the tier four, um, hopefully um, we're able to identify what those barriers are that the child and or family are experiencing. Now, I want to throw our listeners a quick question. Are you a teacher? What common factors have you seen among students who are chron chronically absent or even drop out? Let us know at 505-277-5866 or email us at Let's Talk at KUNM. Now, I want to go back to Estevan, and I want to follow up with the, our conversation earlier about the Attendance for Success Act. It seems like it's crucial to a lot of people's work. So how did that uh, law impact CYFD's work? Well, um, going back to the compulsory school attendance law, as, as Terry referenced earlier, uh, juvenile probation's role, it, it, the way I interpreted our role uh, back then was kind of the middleman, if you will, between the schools and potentially the legal system. Because at that time, there was uh, the possibility of parents being prosecuted. Um, th there was little uh, ramifications for kids, specifically, I think the, the ones that had driver's licenses, they could have their driver's licenses revoked. Obviously, that only pertained to a certain population because not all kids that are in high school have their driver's license. Um, so back then, there there was a we kind of played the middleman, if you will, when we received those referrals. Um, when the new when the new Attendance for Success Act was passed, again the it, it kept juvenile probation on on the back end, if you will. But like I said earlier, it required a lot more, and, and it, we you know Dr. Romero and Terry alluded to it earlier. It required a lot more front end work from the schools in terms of finding out what those barriers were. Um, like I said earlier, our, our role is to take a look at, at what the circumstances are. You know, there are not gonna be cookie cutter approaches for, for every kid or family that, that these are absolutely individualized and we understand that. And that's why it is, it is our requirement to do a due diligence to find out what those, what those circumstances are. And Terry, I want to ask you, since Estevan just mentioned how we've moved away from more punitive measures and that truancy-based system that a lot of people are familiar with, how do schools keep track of absences now? Well, they do actually have systems. They have data systems um, where they keep track of, you know, excused, unexcused, and suspensions. They're keeping track of when a student is out. And you can look at a spreadsheet and you can see the total number of school days for September and the total number of days this particular child was out in September. And again, the reasoning is not as important. Excused, unexcused suspension, it's more about this child was out. What are we doing to support them and make sure that they're not falling behind? And Terry, Mission Graduate is one of your programs at United Way, and you all host a conference about best practices. What kinds of interventions are being shared at the conferences? Okay, so first I do have to tell you Mission Graduate is now called Rising Together um, because we've started a focus not just on education, but we understand that family stability is a huge part of getting children to school. So um, the attendance conferences started back in 2015, 
And then in 2017, we decided to only offer them to a school-based attendance teams. And then when the law passed in 2019, all schools had to have attendance teams. And we initially, the partnership was United Way, Albuquerque Public Schools, and some community partners like New Mexico PTA, school-based health centers, um, PBS, um, and all working together on these conferences. And then after the pandemic hit, we started partnering with the public education department and went statewide. Um, and this has meant that we're able to offer these conferences to school-based health, um, school-based attendance teams all over the state. And what we're offering initially, our work was all about how to implement the Attendance for Success Act. Because the act passed, the pandemic hit, and everybody was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? And so PED was doing their thing and, and trying to guide people. And we were saying, okay, well, let's bring everyone together, find out what schools are doing and share those best practices. And we have heard from school after school after school. We want to know what's working in New Mexico. We don't care what works in Baltimore. We want to know what's working in New Mexico. So we've been bringing at these conferences, we bring students in and we bring schools in to talk about what's working, um, what's needed, those kinds of things, and share those best practices. In September, our conference, which was sponsored by United Way, Albuquerque Public Schools, and the Public Education Department, held for 400 people from around the state um, just talking about attendance, just learning about best practices, learning about what we can do to help schools implement this law and what supports they need and making sure they're sharing ideas with each other. We're talking about potential strategies that could help address the growing problem of chronic absenteeism in our schools. Let's Talk New Mexico is on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez and we'll be back in a minute. Support comes from James Corinchin Public Relations, specializing in strategic communications and reputation brand management. JKPR helps local, national, and international companies navigate through changing business climates. More at jamescorinchin.com. Connect to your local community by becoming a KUNM business underwriter. Program support through underwriting highlights your business while supporting news and locally curated music. To become a business underwriter, contact Kelly at 505-277-3969. Halloween is around the corner when spooky things can happen. Does your car have gremlins? Is your car a gremlin? If so, you may want to get rid of that spooky old car. With one phone call, you can donate it to KUNM. We'll send a tow truck to your home and drag it away. You get a KUNM membership and a tax deduction too. It's easy and not scary at all. Call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're taking a look at the future of education and how we can get students re-engaged in learning and improve their attendance. There's still time to call in this morning. Give us a call at 505-277-5866. And Terry, we're talking about getting kids back in school, getting them engaged. You mentioned earlier they're really wanting this relevant education that is matching up with the world they're seeing right now. And you all advocate for project-based learning. What does that mean exactly? And are schools not using this as much as they should? Schools do um, as much as they can. So project-based learning, hands-on learning, work-based learning opportunities, things like um, internships and job shadows, um, things like where a classroom might partner with a local employer and do a project for that employer that uses the skills they're learning in the classroom. Um, things that make what students are learning relevant. But all of these things take time, they take people, and a lot of times they take money. And so a school might have a teacher who's really willing to work with an employer, but simply doesn't have the time or capability to go around asking employers if they would like to partner with them. So sometimes it's that whole coordination piece is very difficult for some schools. So they do, a lot of schools do a great job with this, but not necessarily are they able to have every student have a project-based learning or work-based learning opportunity. We'd like to see that in New Mexico. That would be fabulous for every student to have an opportunity like that before they finish school. And Estevan, I want to come back to you. It's reported that districts across the country have lost track of thousands of students since the pandemic. These students may tr be truants, unreported homeschoolers, or are just attending school in a new district. Does CYFD have a role in tracking down kids and making sure they're not being neglected educa or educationally? Yeah, I, I believe CYFD as a whole certainly has a role. 
Um, I, I recall a couple of years ago, uh, we partnered with the public education department to track down a lot of these these kids. And then I referenced probation officers were making phone calls. They were making home visits to you know find out where they were where, where they were at, what their educational plan was, ensure they were safe, right? Um, and ultimately, the, the vast majority that we were able to make contact with, I believe, were referred to engage New Mexico. But but like I said, for when, when we um, when we when we got this, it's you know we 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 didn't want to come off as oh my god, probation officers here to, to see our kid. No, we're we're here. We're partnering with with the public education department ultimately to ensure that the child and the family their needs are met, the child is safe and to find out what their educational goals were going forward if, if the schools were not able to contact them beforehand. And I'm going to throw out a question for all the parents who may be listening. How has the pandemic affected your child's engagement in their education or even their extracurriculars? Give us a call at 505-277-5866 or email us at letstalk at KUNM.org to share. But we actually have a caller on the line now, Melissa. Good morning. Good morning. And what was your comment this morning? Um... Thank you for this show, and, and thank you for taking my comments. Um, one real quick comment, which is just that the, the so-called data that we have on absences is often very inaccurate. Um, it's really hard for teachers to actually teach and constantly be keeping track of who's you know coming in late and who's absent and um, excused or unexcused and all that stuff. Um, I agree we need a system response to that, not individual teachers. But my bigger comment is... Um, after having always placed a huge value on attendance for our students all throughout um, her her school experience, um, when our student hit high school, um, it was really, really disheartening. Um, there was a lot of absenteeism on the part of teachers. And... Um, I don't blame the individual teachers. I believe they need to be able to have days off, obviously. Um, but there were not, there are not enough substitutes, and we're not paying substitutes enough to make sure we have enough of them. Um, and high-quality folks who can actually step in and teach a class. Um, and so, on many occasions, my students went to school and. You know, there'd be a the there'd be a note on the door. A, a teacher was out, and there were no subs, so they, the students were instructed to just go to the cafeteria. And there was just someone, a staff member in the cafeteria, who would sort of supervise and make sure that you know, we, you know, no behavior problems came out. But there was no instruction. Literally, it was just sit there and you know, play on your phones for the whole period. And sometimes, even when there have been subs, the subs. This is a literal quote. The subs would take attendance and they'd say, okay, I'll do me, you do you. And the sub would just start to play on his or her phone. And, and Melissa, then- I'm going to pause you right there just so we can get uh, Secretary Romero's thoughts on this. Secretary Romero, can you talk to the uh, concerns of Melissa when it comes to teacher attendance? Uh, absolutely. Um, that, that can be an absolute issue. Uh, we do have... Uh, definitely districts that have issues with being able to have enough staff uh, just with teachers alone, but also the idea of what they do with their substitutes. And so when Terry talked about how we have best practices uh, across districts, this is an example of what that is, is how we set up our systems in place to to support our substitute teachers. Uh, It should never be uh, a place where it's just uh, somebody there an adult there in the room and students are are not continuing to learn. We need to be able to provide systems in place that we support these substitutes because they are uh, the substitute teacher. That's the most important part of that phrase, that they have to continue to be the teacher. And we shouldn't expect anybody to come in and have that position and just know what they're doing. We have to be able to have a system to be able to support them, train them, let them know about what the instructional materials are, how the lesson planning process has, and what connections they have with the school because they're a part of that school. The other thing that the the caller mentioned was uh, just the inaccuracies with data. And that can be the case also. And so one of 
of the things we're looking at with the public education department is really aligning how we collect data and how we submit data. Uh, every district across New Mexico, we've got, you know, 89 school districts. We've got over, you know, 100 charters. In many ways, that's 189 ways in which we we take attendance in that respect alone. So you're going to probably be hearing from us soon uh, at the public education department, some ways in which we can align um, how we collect information, how we register students, how we look at attendance, how we share information and that data so that's more aligned and we can look at it uh, because we also have students that we're going to drop from one school and then come into another school we want those things to be very fluid and fast and easy and much more um, uh, easy to process so uh, be looking for some of those those ways in which we can just really evolve and better our systems within the schools and even in the classrooms and I want to introduce my last guest, Terry Davis, co-executive executive director of New Mexico High School Musical Theater Awards, to help us understand the value of extracurricular activities when it comes to keeping kids engaged and in classrooms. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for hanging in there. Oh, thank you. And my first question for you is, can you just tell us a little bit about New Mexico High School Musical Theater Awards and how they're involved in schools? Sure. We work with drama programs around the state. Uh, and uh, communicate with drama teachers all over the state. Um, we actually put on the, the largest celebration of high school drama programs in the state by uh, hosting them in a, uh, an award show in Polk Joy Hall in the spring. And then we send two students out of that to New, to New York uh, for the National High School Musical Theater Awards. Um, but we work with all the drama programs in the state because we know that uh, eventually some of them will do musicals. But we also are very, care very much about drama programs in the schools and what they do for students. Drama is a huge uh, factor for an awful lot of students. Um, you know, we've been actually taking a survey of students right now. And this uh, quote came uh, to us, drama helps me academically by giving me motivation to stay in school and get good grades in order to participate in the activities. In other words, if you don't, your grades aren't high enough, you're not allowed to actually participate in the activities. So this student obviously recognized that. And so she's working on her studies to keep going. Um, but um, drama by itself actually affects in high schools about eight to 10% of the population. Um, we're routinely hearing from drama students, or drama teachers, sorry, that uh, they do touch that many students, which is far more than, say, football um, in, in our schools. And when you start adding music and dance into that picture as well, those students make a huge portion of the student body. And uh, so if they're involved in those activities, attendance goes up. Um, Americans for the Arts did a, a, a survey back in 2006 that showed this, that even in particular for lower uh, people in lower socioeconomic statuses, fine arts involvement lowered their absenteeism, yes. increased their graduation rates. So all of those things, if we, if we put that together, we actually have something of a solution, you know, that probably could affect as many as 20 to 30 percent of the student body uh, in any one school. Um, you know, we, we do a pretty good job with athletics and athletics is very important to a lot of students and being on a team. Uh, we know this very much, but there 45 percent of the students across the country basically don't participate in athletics. So that's nearly half the student body not engaged by athletics, what are we doing for those students? And Terry, I want to touch a little bit on mental health. I know we kind of scooted around it a little bit, but there's a lot going on in the world right now. And even local news can be extremely heavy for everyone, but I'm also considering kids take on a lot of that. How can we have time during the school days to work on art projects and how can that minimize stress and anxiety? Well, and, and again, this comes back to what Secretary Romero and myself are talking about with best practices is looking at what schools are doing and how they're helping students um, with things like that. Uh, where mental health and behavioral health issues come, we've seen more instances and, and a higher rate of issues since the, the end of the pandemic. And what schools, each individual school figures out what's going to be best I'm a huge proponent for there being a social worker in every single school. I would love that. But there has to be a caring adult for every student in school. 
that's it. When it comes to any issues that a student might have, there has to be someone at that school they feel comfortable talking to. I think it's essential. And Terry Davis, I'm going to pivot to you on that same question. How can the arts and everything you're doing in schools really help kids manage stress, which is a huge thing going forward in their academic career or careers in general? Uh, the stressors for students are, are multiple. Um, you know, we talked very early on in this uh, conversation about bullying. Um, a lot of the students that we've seen uh, come to drama programs, uh, they, they've discovered them. We've, our teachers will tell us that they actually save lives our, because what happens is those students find drama as a last resort because their other last resort was uh, an attempt at suicide. They find the drama program and they go, oh, I'm, I'm accepted here. They will eat lunch in the drama teacher's room to avoid any bullying, but they find out that, that they can flourish in that circumstance and flourish in that, in that environment. We've seen um, workshops where uh, people will step out of the workshop because something that in the workshop is triggering for them. So, um, you know, you have to, in drama, work on all kinds of emotions. And, uh, you know, if you ask the student to, you know, start working with anger, that student may say, no, I, I can't go there. Um, and, and so drama can provide a safe space for those students to do that. And, and a lot of times I'm hearing teachers now literally saying, this is a safe space for your emotionals, emotional responses and, and, and you know, to display emotion here in, in the appropriate manner for your character. Uh, and it gives those students that opportunity to try on social possibilities. Uh, you know, they've got a scripted environment in many cases where they can say, okay, this person got mad and it went this way. Well, okay, that's all right then. Um, so it, it's a practice environment for them to, to work in. Um, and just the idea of creativity, tapping into students' creativity um, just pivots so much into uh, their possibilities for involvement in school is phenomenal. Um, whether that's drama or music or dance or anything else of that nature, um, it, it just allows them to flourish and grow and blossom. Mm -hmm. And Secretary Romero, you just are nodding your head. You're excited about this topic. So what is the funding for the arts? Uh, it, it, it can always be more, for sure. And, and as we are getting into this next legislative session, we're actually starting to create those budgets now about how we can support everything we've talked about this morning. Definitely the arts is is involved in that conversation, but we're also talking about transportation. We're talking about CT programs. We're talking about innovation. We're talking about social workers and counselors. All these are a piece of the puzzle. And I agree with uh, Terry so much. It, it, is, it is our responsibility to make sure that every student in New Mexico has a place where they can connect uh, when it comes to their, their schools and their classrooms. Whether that be if you are uh, the love of the football player, whether you are in band, whether you are in drama, whether you uh, are into engineering and robotics and computers, whatever that is. We want to be able to make sure that you have a place. And so these are part of those best practices that Terry was talking about. And uh, uh, and so we're going to make that continue to happen. Uh, we've got a lot of great examples out there, but we have some work to do. And I'm looking forward to what comes next. And there's that outro music, meaning that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for everyone who called and emailed to share your thoughts. And thank you so much to our guest, Secretary Arsenio Romero, Estefan Gallegos, Terry Wimborn, and Terry Davis. This show was made possible by the W. UK Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Let's keep the conversation going. Search for KUNM Radio on Facebook or email let's talk at KUNM.org. If you missed part of the show, you can stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our engineer this morning is Marino Spencer. Mia Casas screened your calls and Cave Movahead is our executive director. I'm Taylor Velazquez. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.